You're listening to ZZ Talk, a father-son generational podcast where we talk about entertainment, culture, and a variety of other subjects from the perspectives of both Gen Z and Gen X. I'm Noah. I'm Greg. And this is ZZ Talk. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. So it is November. We survived Scary Movie Month of October and uh, had some varying opinions on a variety of uh, interesting films. So we're, we're changing things up. And now that it's November, it is comedy month here on the pod. So we thought we would try something a little bit different this week. And I feel like I say that every time I, I every single time I do, I do, but it, it is different, right? Because if we've gone from horror films, uh, we're t- changing j- genres uh, considerably here. We're doing comedies this month and this month we're starting with a film that interestingly enough, neither nor Noah nor I had seen. And it's the 1959 classic. And I think it's fair to call it a classic. Wouldn't you say Noah? I'd say so. Some like, Some like it hot, uh, starring Tony Curtis, Jack Lemmon and Marilyn Monroe. So this is a film I was, uh, very aware of over time, but not a film I had seen. I don't know why, honestly, I, I don't even know that I could say to you that I have seen a film with Marilyn Monroe in it until this film. And that's saying something given the icon that she remains today. So I was aware of this film. I was aware vaguely of the theme of this film. And before I sort of read the synopsis of the film, what's your take on it, Noah? Tell me about your perspective on how how you um, came to Some Like It Hot. So I think the title itself has uh, kind of become popular in pop culture, generally speaking. I've definitely heard it before. And of course, uh, we have a diner over in uh, our hometown that is 50s inspired, and there is a poster of Some Like It Hot. So that's kind of where I remember the association between uh, Marilyn Monroe. Yes, it's actually... um, In the Blue Ribbon Diner? Yeah, it's in the it's in the restroom. Uh, but regardless of regardless of that, I know of I've known of the movie, but I've never really given it that much thought because it isn't really often discussed in many film circles. It is older. It's all in black and whites from 1959. But um, I mean, it had never really been on my radar. I knew it existed. But uh, after reading essentially just good, I want to say just like good reviews or um, positive, I guess, think pieces on it, uh, we decided to uh, give it a watch because we were actually looking over comedy movies to see, you know, on the internet. And this one, this one was one of the top ones on the list. I mean, generally, when you think of comedies, you think of the Will Ferrell ones or all of the ones that came out in the late 90s early 2000s but we were looking for something that we hadn't seen together and so something as old as this we hadn't and uh i'm i'm glad we got to get around to it because we definitely have some thoughts on it we do we do so here's the synopsis after witnessing a mafia murder slick saxophone player joe and his long-suffering buddy jerry improvise a quick plan to escape from chicago with their lives Disguising themselves as women, they join an all-female jazz band and hop a train bound for sunny Florida. While Joe pretends to be a millionaire to win the band's sexy singer, Sugar, Jerry finds himself pursued by a real millionaire. So, you know, you have to admit that just reading that summary alone, for 1959, this was pushing some boundaries, pushing the so to speak. And I think that we decided that, um, independent of one another, that this film... 
um, it's interesting that the film was so well received at the time, as I believe it was, and I think it's only become more of a, I'm not going to call it a cult classic because that's not the right term for this film, but it's, but it's well regarded in uh, cinema history as one of the top comedies ever made. And probably and, one of Marilyn Monroe's best known films. I mean, she was a movie star, but I actually didn't know she was a singer too. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Mm -hmm. But overall, if you you know listen to the plot synopsis and you were thinking to yourself, wow, uh, it's pretty interesting. It is pretty ahead of its time. I mean, I can't really imagine any other movie was like this. And it was a smash hit at the box office. Uh, people loved it critically and commercially. So uh, given its budget and just sort of the hijinks that goes on in this movie there's uh, there's definitely a lot that i would see audiences loving you know back uh in the late 50s yeah um so here's the question what is the connection between last week's episode of the podcast and this week's episode well last week's episode was halloween ends so i couldn't really tell you uh we're completely switching genres can Except you uh, that it's an all in the family kind of thing because last week's episode was Halloween ends starring Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm -hmm. This week's episode is some like it hot starring Tony Curtis, who was Jamie Lee Curtis's father. I had no idea. Wow. Yep. That's a cool. Yep. And yep. And Janet Leigh, who was the uh, female lead in psycho is Jamie Lee Curtis's mother. Yeah, obviously, there's a lot of older actors here. And it's crazy to think I was watching the movie. And I was thinking to myself, some of these guys were born in the 1800s, some of the older characters in the movie. Um, so I mean, it's it's just from a it's, it's from a bygone era. I mean, it, the film is set in 1929. So you're seeing the phones that they use, people are smoking inside very casually, some of the terminology that they have, obviously, the dress and the <laughs> the mafia, uh, the mafia people. I, I feel like that was in almost every sort of black and white uh, movie with a city at some point uh, in the 50s, 40s, 30s. That was uh, gangster crime was, you know, a very topical theme back then. But it was cool to kind of step back in time uh, and see how movies were made back then and just really compare them to sort of the contemporary aspects that we enjoy today. And I will say there were some impressive parts of this movie that I did not know were achievable back then. So yeah, um, yeah. Uh, anything else you wanna say on that? Yeah, I was just gonna say, before we get to some sort of general thoughts on this, I, I didn't realize it was in black and white. I, I could swear this film has been colorized much like you know, It's a Wonderful Life and, and many, many other films. But I don't know. And I guess in my head, it was going to be in color because the um, the promo for it or the still for the film on Apple TV Plus, which we, you know, viewed it on, uh, is in color. So I thought, oh, maybe there's a color version, but it was fine. I mean, there I, I don't I don't need a film to be in color for me to enjoy it. In fact, Werewolf by Night that we just, you know, talked about a couple of weeks ago was also in black and white. Interesting. And I think that lends itself to some effectiveness. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting that you say that. Well, whereas uh, Werewolf by Night was a stylistic choice uh, meant to look older, right, this right. was obviously something that was just within technical limitations at the time, which I am surprised by considering it's 1959. And I think The Wizard of Oz was the 30s. That I think that was the first movie in color. And um, Gone with the Wind, I believe. Also 39. Uh, I think that was also in color. And then Singing in the Rain, which came out, I think, a few years prior to this movie, was in color as well, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, um, yeah there are clips on YouTube where people have uh, sort of, I guess, used some technical magic and colored some clips. Uh -huh. But the interesting thing about what you're saying there is Marilyn Monroe wanted the movie to be shot in color, but her contract stipulated that all her films were to be that way. 
but Billy Wilder, who I believe is the director, convinced her to let it be shot in black and white when costume tests revealed that the makeup that Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon wore uh, gave their faces a green tinge. So obviously technical limitations at the time. And that does make sense and answers our question as to why it wasn't in color. But you know, at the end of the day, you and I, we're no stranger to older movies, but by this point, a movie that's 40 years old was released in 1982. Now, this is one of those classic era films, and we don't really watch that much that's in black and white anymore. In fact, I can't really name the last movie that I saw um, that was purely shot that way. So it was kind of cool to have that experience. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. So with all that said, what did you think? I I liked it. I thought it was a perfectly good film. I think uh, it holds up today. It's pretty funny, honestly. I mean, I wouldn't say there was any super laugh out loud moments, but I was certainly entertained and amused through most of it. And I got a couple chuckles out of Grace and I. I think the antics and sort of just the the setup and the premise are just funny in general. And just sort of seeing that done in 1959 is just, it's crazy how much times have changed today. But I thought Hmm. in many ways it was very innovative. Uh, I loved the the diversity of set pieces. And I thought the acting was uniformly very good all around. Um, It it was just an entertaining thrill ride, in my opinion, um, all the way through. And I can see why people liked it so much back then. I didn't think it was a perfect movie. I mean, it was definitely long in some spaces and I felt like they could have cut out some instances of it. But overall, you know, I thought it was a good film and it's something that I enjoyed watching and I'm happy that I spent a couple hours with it. Yeah, I have to say I completely agree. I didn't know what to expect. As I said, I'd never seen uh, Marilyn Monroe in a film. I don't know that I've seen much with Tony Curtis. I've seen a lot of films with Jack Lemmon. And I have to say that I think Jack Lemmon was the standout in this film uh, overall. It's really, it's very well done. It moves along at a relatively good pace, given that it is a full two hours in length. But, you know, I think it builds on itself. And there are some really strong, um, there's a really strong premise that, um, I, I don't know, I think is very effective. I thought the scene on the train was very amusing. And I would say the same uh, that you said. I, I don't know that I laughed out loud a lot, I, and but I did chuckle with some regularity. Oh, your mom's telling me I did laugh out loud. And I do remember laughing out loud, but it wasn't like a, you know, huge laugh out loud. It was, it was a lot of chuckling, especially consistently through the train scene and the beach scene. I thought that was really well done. So overall it was, um, yeah, I, I was a, a worthy watch and I'm very glad that we started comedy month with some like it hot. I also have to say, I love, love, love the title of this film. Mm-hmm. And of course they say there's a reference to the title of the film in the film right on the beach scene so there was that too but um you know i think i just think it's a it's a clever title of course in the 80s there was a very popular song called some like it hot had nothing to do with the film but by robert palmer but um anyway so it was sort of top of mind anyway so i'm glad we started comedy month with a film that probably not a lot of our listeners have seen mm-hmm. um but hopefully they will see it after having discussed it here today yeah absolutely i would recommend this to anybody who likes older films or wants to sort of diversify try something new what you be watching um otherwise if you're just a casual general film goer and you like to see you know most of the uh, top movies at the box office over the year then i wouldn't necessarily recommend this but if you're looking for a little bit something unique fun and uh deeper than your usual uh watch list i would definitely recommend this one Mm -hmm. so any spoilers for us um you would you would recommend this to pretty much the same crowd of people 
I would. So tell me how many Z's you'd give it. All right. On a one to five scale, which is because that is the Z scale. No, yes. Yes. Um, I think I would give it a good three and a half C's. Um, it, it was it was a perfectly good movie. I didn't think it was perfect by any means, but overall, I had a really good time with it. I'm glad I watched it. I would agree. I would say between three and three and a half Z's. I'll give it three and a half Z's because it's uh, it was um, a delightful way to spend two hours. Certainly. And I think we can move into spoilers here. But before we do that, uh, I will say that I now recall the ending scene, I think, got a big laugh from Grace and I. That was pretty funny. The uh, ending scene was um, surprising. Why don't you talk about it? Yeah. So we'll go right into it. Obviously, this is spoilers right here. Um, so if you want to go watch it, you know the deal. We're jumping straight into full spoilers. Okay. So the ending scene. Um, at this point, obviously, our two main characters have been disguised as women uh, who are affectionately known as Daphne and Josephine uh the entire time um and then so marilyn monroe has been completely unaware of this but uh <laughs> they essentially reveal themselves out of their disguises and marilyn monroe doesn't seem to care at all about the uh, person she had fallen in love with and um so obviously we know that there's a suitor who wants to marry daphne who um, is obviously being disguised as daphne and so she's basically, or he is trying to essentially convince the potential rich suitor not to marry him. And he says, well, I smoke. And the guy says, oh, that's fine. I don't care. He says, well, I can't have babies. And the guy says, oh, that's fine. We'll adopt one. And then uh, Daphne says, well, we can't get married because I'm a boy. And then he says, nobody's perfect. And then the movie ends. And I just thought that was so funny because that must have been so shocking to people back in the day and i think that you know in a contemporary sense it's just like that's uh, that's a non-talking point right i mean a lot of those themes are a lot more acceptable but back then it was more taboo which is pretty interesting to see that sort of dynamic there too but i thought the ending was pretty funny because the guy himself just didn't care he was probably born in 1910 and um you know he was totally fine he was like you know what nobody's perfect i think he just wanted to marry that person that he had a good time with so i thought that was really funny yeah i think we you know had talked about the fact that this film was um uh again ahead of its time mm -hmm. and in that sense i think it's interesting that it was so well received uh, I think that tells you a little bit about maybe the times, the times were changing and um, that it found an audience that um, it was uh, look, maybe not looking to find, but overall the film found the audience that uh, appreciated the approach it took, which was quite a departure from what we believe in 2022 the 50s were all about yeah absolutely and i think it, it was the turn of the decade right it was about to be 1960 right. and i think there was a lot more um i think there was a lot more free love in that decade just generally speaking so um it's interesting because the movie itself as we said is innovative in the way that it plays out but ultimately i think that most people it doesn't necessarily matter the theme it's just if it's a good movie and yeah. it plays well and makes you laugh how can you be mad or just trying to boycott a film like that and i think uh -huh. people back then um who are obviously you know much different now in today's society i think it's just something that everybody can enjoy it's a light-hearted comedy that honestly is um it, it's it's good natured it's good spirited yeah and you know what i'm just i'm thinking to your comment earlier about uh 
Marilyn Monroe wanting to have this in color, but her contract didn't allow for that. And Mm -hmm. Wilder wouldn't allow that. The point about the makeup for Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon is very logical. If it had been in color, it would have been distracting. And I think that's the, one of the great benefits of it having been in black and white is that when I looked at those characters, it was a little bit of a stretch, right? I mean, I think yeah. that if, you know, in the real world, we would have figured out that they were, you know, um, dressing differently than their gender presentation. But I think um, I'm glad it was in black and white because it would have taken away a little bit of the, I'm going to use air quotes here for all of our listeners, the believability. Yes, certainly. I think, I think what's so funny about the concept is it is wild. It's zany. It's far-fetched. Like, of course, there's a bit of a suspension of disbelief, but you know, that's the whole point. And I think that's heightened by the black and white because it kind of obscures like what we would have generally seen from them. You know, it's like they're in disguise and it's a half-hearted disguise, but I think that's what makes it funnier in that sort of way. But um, I would also like to just sort of take a pivot there and talk about what the film was able to achieve. I really, really liked it when, um, you know, I don't like car chases in most movies, but in the beginning, there's a pretty action-packed sequence where there's a lot of peeling out and burning out in cars and, you know, high-speed chases. I was surprised by the level of um, engagement and action that was in it and sporadically throughout. I mean, there was chases, there was, you know, gun-toting bad guys, and there were police raids. I mean, there was a lot going on in this movie, and I felt like it was able to juggle all that quite well. And I was surprised that, you know, CGI didn't really exist back then. Camera trickery certainly did. Hardly, right. Yeah, exactly. Camera trickery certainly did. But um, it, it is cool to see something where you realize that it takes so much to craft a scene like that. I was just thinking to myself, you know, how long did it take to get that perfect shot? And I think they were, um, you know, movies are filmed digitally a lot of the time these days. Oh, yeah. It's shot on film, which is much more expensive. So you really had to get things right um, a lot sooner than I, I would imagine you have to today. So I was really impressed by just the diversity of action-packed set pieces we were having. And that started in the beginning. So interesting you stated that because there were some car chase scenes in this that I, I felt I felt the same way. It was like, I, it was noticeable. I thought well, that was pretty well done for 1959, you know? And mm-hmm. obviously it was filmed before 1959 if it was released in 59. So the point being is that it was in the latter part of, of a decade that is very long ago at this point. So they made they made it as believable as a film with, this um subject uh and story could be um for the viewer so overall i thought it was totally worth watching and i'm going with you i'll go with three and a half z's yeah ultimately i thought you know it balanced sort of like the serious kind of like oh my gosh like you know there's actual like people taking out hits on groups of other people and you're like wow this is actually you know pretty probably a little bit violent especially for back then but it's also some violence in the beginning and at the end and i have to say too uh, marilyn monroe you know obviously she's um you know probably the most iconic symbol of you know pop culture history right Mm -hmm. and i think you watch this film and you can see why i thought that she was just excellent in the film overall um i know of her star status and you know she was really hollywood's one of their biggest icons at the time but i didn't know that she could sing either 
I, I figured that she was very popular because um, I, I know she's saying happy birthday to JFK and I know that she was an actress, but I hadn't seen that in practice necessarily. So I was really surprised to learn that she really was, I guess she could dance too. She was kind of a triple threat. Um, and I can see why people liked her so much because I mean, not only is she one of the most well-known actresses of all time, but she has the talent uh, to boot. So I, I really appreciate seeing that sort of side of her because I think you and I both said that we hadn't seen any movies with her at all. Um, yeah, what would you say to that? I would agree. I think she was, um, again, I think you can tell why she uh, has the, 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 the history of film is she left a, uh, left a mark on uh, film history. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think she was, I, I think this was maybe, she was well established in her career by the time that she did this, but I thought she played off of the main characters really well. And that's something that's super important because when you're juggling three main characters, you have to have a good sort of um, chemistry. And I thought it was, I thought it was there. Uh, I thought all three of the leads were, were game for this film. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, they kept introducing sort of uh, new side characters here and there as well. I, I mean, overall, it was it was impressive to see that because sometimes I think Grace turned to me at one point in the movie and was saying, did people just talk like that back then? And um, what do you mean with her voice? It's just like it's the tonality of usually the men, you know, where they're kind of saying, oh, you know, we're going to go over to oh, yeah, over to the bar, say something like that. And, and I was like, well, I think that's maybe a condition of the microphones that they used back then, but also just acting. You, it, there's such a difference from acting has come a long way. Oh, absolutely. I, the earliest example I can think of is probably um, I, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, I think has like really good acting, but a movie 20 years later, uh, so in the 80s, has even better acting. In the 50s and the 40s, people were more theatrical because there weren't as many movie stars. There were people who came from the stages, like the plays, theater more so. And I think you had to be a bit more theatrical in your presentation. And yeah. I think acting today is more subtle. Absolutely. You know, it was more over-exaggerated back then, but overall, I mean, it was, it was cool to see that it wasn't, I mean, there were some over the top moments, but ultimately I felt like everybody did a good job of being believable enough in the story as actors and actresses. So I was impressed with that level of it too, because um, sometimes it's easy just to discredit a film because it's older and there's just, I guess, improved ways of making a movie nowadays. Yep. Yep. All right. So I think we both agree. Some Like It Hot is definitely worth our listeners watching. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 definitely a good movie all around. Um, glad we watched it. I'd be game to watch some older classic films uh, another time, but I think this definitely piqued my interest in exploring uh, pre-1970s movies. Well, perhaps we can do that in January after we fill our 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 heads with Hallmark movies for the holiday season. Okay, moving on to, let's check it out. It's a joke, folks, because Noah Zeiser will never watch a, a Hallmark movie. Maybe he will for the pod, just for the fun of it, but probably not. So with that said, let's go check it out. I've been watching a show on um, Netflix, which I don't think I've talked about on the on the check it out section yet. It's called, um, mm -hmm. it's called, it's by Mike Flanagan who did Midnight Mass. Oh, wait, you were telling me about this. You yeah. like it now? You made it I past do. the first episode. I like it a lot. I, I've seen three episodes now, if I can remember the name of the show. Um, 
I'll search it up. You fill time. It's really, it's actually the Midnight Club or something like that. Anyway, this is really bad because I really do think it's worth watching. Um, it's not the same. I'm not going to call it the same caliber of Midnight Mass, but Mike Flanagan has a knack for good storytelling when it comes to the horror genre. Um, and the basic premise of this is that they are teenagers in this hospice kind of environment um, where they're all suffering from terminal illness and they meet at midnight in the basement of this house and they tell ghost stories. That's cool. And the ghost stories are really, really good. And they, they, you watch them play out as they're telling them. And I've only seen two because the first film, the first episode is a setup for what's to come. And I think it's probably like eight or 10 episodes. And as I said, I'm only three in, but the horror stories that they tell are horror stories that Noah's eyes would like. Nice. So yeah, you, you would like this. It's, it's definitely worth the, the overall premise is not what you're going to be really excited about, but the actual sort of storytelling that occurs within the episodes is is quite good and of course overall there's some weird things happening at the hospice home at the at the you know at the medical center kind of thing but it includes some performers from mike flanagan's previous things so you see oh. characters or actors not characters but actors from the haunting of hill house from midnight mass from the haunting of bly manor and and so they they pop up and you know it's it's kind of interesting to to see them playing different roles so um did you find out what the name of it is uh, yeah, you got it right the first time. It was the Midnight Club. Okay, the Midnight Club. Yeah, so Midnight Club on on Netflix. It's it was in the top ten. I'm sure now that the uh, horror movie and TV show themed month of October is over, it's probably no longer there. But it's worth searching for and and, and checking out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you were talking about the premise maybe not being that exciting, but I'm intrigued from that alone. That is super cool to me. I love sort of short form um horror anthology sort yeah. of bits of scary stories that's super cool i like that in books and i've enjoyed that in um some movies occasionally and some of the acting is pre is quite good i wish i i wish i would have known about this in october um yeah. yeah it's worth it though i've downloaded several episodes to my phone all right good to hear yeah i'll definitely check that out um all right so i'm just gonna go with my uh check it out here now I'm going to explain this one because a lot of you have probably seen this and loved it. And a lot of you probably have not actually. Um, I want you to check out Breaking Bad because I am rewatching it. Uh, my roommate had not seen it before and we are on the last episode now after, you know, taking three or four months to watch it. But I originally tried Breaking Bad twice when I was younger and I just couldn't get into it for some reason. I think you're in the same boat, right? Yeah, we've seen one episode and your mom, I think, has seen the first several episodes one time and then she watched the second one, the, I mean, the first episode a second time. We might get back to it. Yeah. But I hear I, it gets much better. I think, well, the reason I say that is because I think that's a really common trend. I've heard well over 10 people say the same thing to me, that they watched the first episode and it was fine, but they couldn't really get into it and they just kind of dropped it. The show is just one of those must-see tv series um it, it, it's just one of those ones you have that you have to see over the course of your lifetime i mean it is just a brilliant show and re-watching it um after you know having watched it through in about 2019 which was pretty late if you haven't seen all the way through breaking bad some of y'all might be watching better call Saul now 
it is just so worth it. It's a brilliant, masterful TV series with just tons of twists and turns along the way. Amazing characters, excellent acting and great writing. It's just one of those ones that if you haven't seen it, this is just a reminder. Or if you've tried it and haven't gotten into it, it truly is well worth it. Um, it absolutely is. So uh, check out Breaking Bad if you have and you haven't given it a true shot yet. Or if you haven't and you've been interested at any point in time, there's plenty of other Breaking Bad media out there. El Camino came out in 2019, which is the epilogue movie to the series. And so is that is that part of the Breaking Bad universe? It is. It's the epilogue the Breaking Bad cinematic universe. Yes, which would be super cool. But like we say, less is more. And I think El Camino's, um, you know, sort of the finishing. It's the epilogue to the series. And then uh, Better Call Saul just ended this year. And that is supposed to be similarly excellent as well. So I'm looking forward to watching that because I have not seen it yet. I heard that's even superior to Breaking Bad. I've definitely heard it's up there. Um, but one of my first, my actual first experience in an Alamo draft house, which I'm sure we've discussed on this podcast before, was seeing El Camino uh, in 2019 with a buddy of mine. And it was just, it was just awesome. It was just a sensational movie and the whole experience around it was awesome too. So um, Breaking Bad, I mean, anything Breaking Bad, definitely watch, uh, definitely watch the series. Cool. All right. All cool. Right. So hey, uh, Noah, one last question. Yeah. What's that? Done any running lately? Oh yes. We have, we actually have done, uh, done running very recently. Uh, in fact, we got up at, <sighs> You 430. Got, 4.30. 4.30. <laughs> got up at 6.11 um, <laughs> when you got... To, when when you, I was in his driveway. <laughs> when you drove an hour to my house um, to, so we could start the race at 7.20. But yeah, um, what, what an awesome race. That was super... It was great. Yeah, it was, it was great to get out there and do it again. I know that you run more frequently than I do these days and probably participate in more races, but it was a nice feeling to uh, get a medal and uh, get another t-shirt out of it as well. I really enjoyed sort of just having those keepsakes of another uh, good one. And now that I'm officially living in the city where we've done this uh, race before, it's just, it's kind of different and I really like it. So, I mean, today probably wasn't our best days time-wise ever, but I got to <laughs> say it was enjoyable to it was enjoyable just to get back into it and get in that race day mode. And um, you actually volunteered to uh, run a little bit further too. I, I did. I got lost in the course. There were only 6,000 runners and yes, I got lost. Uh, this was the city of Oaks marathon. Uh, and um, we did the 5k and there were 6,000 runners and I missed a turn and ran six tenths of a mile. No, not six tenths, more than half a mile more than uh, I should have. And consequently took a little bit longer than i would have if i had really run a 5k but Let's it was a nice warm morning it was almost 75 degrees at 720 and uh we did it We're well back it's out. only natural because i got lost in 2015 when we did the right on relay for this and right. um <laughs> i guess it's just um it's a it's a tough city to navigate i suppose but either I way i don't know how you get lost when there are six thousand runners <laughs> well i you don't ask me because i clearly don't know uh, I mean, you know, you, you said that you, uh, some of the signage was a little bit vague, I suppose. And, uh, you tried to reach out for help, but weren't able to get it at that point. In time. Uh, right. They were not very helpful. So anyway, well, with all that said, thank you for indulging me and thank you for, uh, listening to another episode of ZZ talk. So once again, November is comedy month. So what do we have up next? Noah? All right. So we have a list here that we've compiled, uh, blazing saddles, mm -hmm. man on the moon, Caddyshack, raising Arizona walk hard and office space all right 
Well, we're not going to tell our listeners which one is up next because we have to check out the streaming platforms to determine which one uh, is the most accessible for us. But one of those films will be next week and uh, uh, others on the list will be in future weeks of November. Yes. Also, speaking of that, uh, if you're still listening, Some Like It Hot is not streamable on any platform that you might own. So you're going to have to rent it. Um, just just so you all know. Yeah. So, all right. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of ZZ Talk. Join us next week when we talk about another comedy. Until then, I am Greg. I'm Noah. And, and this, this is ZZ Talk. <laughs>